Hey, welcome to the All Teens Considered podcast. I'm your host, Jillian Parker. Beyond self-help, the purpose of All Teens Considered is to explore what teens are thinking and feeling. We actually survey our audience to hear from real young people and invite mental health professionals to get scientific and expert advice. We want to change the stigma around mental health by making mental health education interesting, relatable, actionable, and totally normal. All Teens Considered is not a replacement for therapy or personalized advice, but we hope it provides some insight into issues that you or your friends might be dealing with. If you are a teenager listening right now, this podcast is for you, and we want to hear from you. What issues or topics do you want to see covered? How could we make ATC better for you? Share your thoughts by texting 512-537-1778. Our guest today is Sarah Schley. Sarah is a successful entrepreneur and author, and the aim of her work is to make the world a kinder and more inclusive place. She also happens to be bipolar, and her soon-to-be-published book, Brainstorm, tells the story of how she made peace with her bipolar brain. Today, we'll dive into her experience and techniques for managing her own mental health. Let's get started. Okay, so when you identify that you may have a different brain than other people or you have a specific challenge that's unique to yourself and you're accepting of that, how do you find self-love? That's such a great question. It, I have to say, it took me a long time to accept it. And, um, you know, I hope for your listeners, it doesn't take as long because hopefully the stigma has reduced. I mean, I have to say I have teenage kids and um, and I when I talked about kind of coming out of the closet with my bipolar brain, they said, Mom, everybody has mental health issues. Don't worry about it. So it's a very different, you know, kind of milieu and time than it used to be. But I think the self-love part for me is that like I have a lot of um, pride now. I don't know if that's the right word, but sort of um, pride that I have, that I'm a survivor. You know, I'm a survivor and a thriver with this unique brain. And I have had to, you know, I don't know, just go through, I call it to hell and back. You know, I've been to hell and back a number of times with this brain and I feel um, some sense of... uh, I don't know what the word is besides pride, but just kind of self-honoring, like, wow, you know, you're doing it. You know, you have this unique brain pattern. It's come down for me from generations. And, um, you know, by grace of whatever, all kinds of um, good fortune and practices and all the rest, um, I'm able to thrive with it. And But I feel some sense of, you know, I don't know, accomplishment, pride, goodness, that I'm that I'm doing it, you know, and it, it helps with my self love. Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's sounds like a sense of accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, it's like you know against all odds, and um, we've we've scaled this mountain. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right metaphor, but uh, sure. it's kind of a it, it is um, a countercultural correction, you know, because the culture at least till now is kind of like mental mental illness stigma, and right. what I'm feeling is no pride. You know, right. So, so you look at that as a sense of pride, which I think is really healthy. Does everybody that has to overcome a different challenge mentally, or that is uh, just you know kind of unique in their in their brain with a with a challenge like bipolar, do you think that that is something that everyone needs to take pride in, or do you think that 
there's other ways of, of looking at it. Uh, well, I would hope that they would. I mean, it's kind yeah. of what I'm saying, the word pride. It's sort of reminding me of gay pride right now, you know, where um, coming out of closet, affirming who you are as a human being, celebrating that, um, celebrating your difference, uh, allowing that to be something that that you claim. Um, and, and I don't know that that's not a prerequisite, but I kind of hope that everybody gets there, you know? Sure. So you ended up, um, creating seed systems, um, that focus on sustainability. And then you also wrote a book about, uh, your experience with bipolar. So clearly this is something that has reflected in your career. Do, uh, what, what would you say was sort of the way that you decided you were going to use this as, as a way to shape what you want to do with your life to earn a living? Mm, interesting. I mean, I don't think I was thinking of my bipolar brain as a way to learn a li- earn a living for a long time. Like I, I, uh, sustainability is a passion that I have on environmental and social and diversity issues. And, um, but over time, as part of that, I talk about sustainability from the inside out. Um, or integrating sustainability from the inside out. And it's maybe not surprising that because of my bipolar brain, um, I have been interested in, in, you know, the inner work of sustainability and then that, how that reflects in the outer world. Um, and I kind of, you know, practice this idea that if we want to create a sustainable planet out there, we have to be doing it in here in our own, you know, beings and psyches. And so over time, in addition to, um, in addition to, you know, working with organizations, I also work with individuals inside those organizations as a coach, right? As a um, executive coach or life coach or personal coach. Um, And I think a lot of what I had learned, what I've learned from my bipolar brain influenced the people that I coach for years and years and years. I never told them it was because I was bipolar, the things that I, the things that I was helping uh, that, that they're finding helpful to them. Uh, are things that I've actually learned because of the practices that I've had to do to keep myself sane and healthy and thriving with this particular brain. Mm. So, so, you know, I have earned revenues from that as a coach, but it wasn't sort of intentional, like I'm making money off my bipolar brain, if that makes sense. I know you, you, sp- you spoke about finally getting the right diagnosis, right? And it seems to be like, that's the turning point. Um, but after that, even when do you think you really felt like you were able to thrive with the unique brain that you have? It wasn't long after because part of my getting to this diagnosis, and I think I spoke earlier in the hour about, you know, wrestling and fighting with it and not wanting it to be true. So I, I ended up developing a lot of practices that were useful, um, you know, even once I got the right diagnosis in medicine, the practices that I had in place, I'd already been doing yoga. I'd already been doing a lot of exercise. I'd already been, you know, into sort of healthy diet. Um, I'd had a fair amount of therapy. I did a practice called shadow work, which I'm now a facilitator of. Um, so there was a lot in place there. Plus I was blessed to have, you know, um, a, a good relationship and married to a good guy, you know? And by then I think by the time I got my diagnosis, I had little kids, you know? So there was a lot going on, but there was also a lot of practices and a lot of, a lot of support in the family that helped me, um, you know, helped me continue to thrive. Um, I write in the book, I did have a, a, a setback or a relapse about a decade later, post the diagnosis. 
Um, and that's probably a story for a whole other, you know, mental muscle podcast, Ben, because that was connected to my mother's um, cancer diagnosis and her death and dying process. And I think because she had been a person, you know, the my lineage, my bipolar lineage, and because of the suffering that she went through, there was some kind of complexity on, you know, on a psychological level around her death and dying. And there was also this is for older women who aren't listening to you right now, but there's also a complexity around um, bipolar women and menopause. So there was just a number sort of perfect storm of factors that led to a relapse, which I write about in the book. But post that I've been, I've been really good. And I think during the relapse, I learned some more, you know, practices that I needed to do around sleep and around um, really putting myself first, you know, uh, and really respecting that bipolar brain and, and doing what I need to do for prevention. What would what would you say to somebody you know who is looking at kind of this um, experience that you had and trying to relate it to themselves when you know they don't necessarily have a mental illness? What what do you think is the takeaway in terms of how you can look at something that is just an unfortunate thing that happened to you that you don't have control over, and then really take ownership of it and be able to turn it into something um, that really does benefit and enrich you as it seems like overcoming bipolar in your case has done for you. Yeah. I mean, and I want to be clear. It's like, I haven't overcome it. It's kind of like, I think alcoholics when they go to AA and it's never past tense, they still refer to themselves as alcoholic. I have a bipolar brain. I always will. So honoring that is part of my healing, you know, because I, I like to say I have a lot of respect for it and I therefore have to implement these practices, but they, but they allow me to have a rich and full life. So for somebody who doesn't have a, you know, a bipolar brain, and, and yet I think um, it's been interesting for me lately because of, of COVID and the extreme stress that people are under and the sort of unprecedented mental health challenges, even for people whose brains, you know, you would say don't have like a, a, any kind of diagnosis. Um, I found recently that in my coaching, I've been referring to it as, you know, I think um, Biden and others talk about build back better. And I talk about build back better with balance so that, um, you know, uh, elevating and honoring balance as an aspiration, which is pretty countercultural because, I mean, I grew up thinking it was about go, 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 you know, and earn, earn, earn or, you know, go to the top of the mountain and keep climbing up. And really sure. what I've learned from um, this process, you know, my experience is that I think uh, an aspiration of balance in any given day for me is is a. Uh, uh, is is a much more rich and like sort of sustainable interstate to aspire to. So so I've been coaching a lot of, um, you know, kind of uh, maybe again, a little bit older than your demographic, but mid-career women who are dealing that right now with COVID. They've got parents who are alive and are aging. They've got little kids that they're trying to homeschool. They've got a business that they're trying to run or some other, you know, uh, uh, job that they're trying to do from home. They've got a partner or somebody who's also struggling with that. And it's enough to make anybody crazy, so to speak. Right. So, sure. um, so I think, you know, the feedback I've been getting from the people I've been working with, and even just recently got an email from this woman that it's been really helpful to think about practices for balance. And I give them homework and, you know, balance should be physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual, you know, be thinking about practices that you do in each of those domains in any given day, in any given week. And, you know, they get homework and it's sort of like, well, you talk about this podcast as mental muscle. It's like building this balance muscle, you know, and uh, it's pretty wonderful. What something that we, that 
you you can kind of internally tell yourself about like well that that this isn't a negative part of your identity even if it still has to be looked upon as part of your identity kind of think because it did take me a while to get there right uh, because right. of the cultural you know norms and stigmas I, I I think you know everything that is that we have to deal with that doesn't kill us and makes us stronger you know um, that um, uh, that it, you know it, there, there can be some um, self-esteem, I think, in being countercultural, you know, and if, if for me, so for me, if like uh, mental health challenge um, is, is there's a stigma about it and it's seen as negative. And for me, it's countercultural and kind of a turnaround to, to be claiming that as, as um, you know, kind of a badge of honor, you know, Um it's a little bit, but we were stating earlier. Uh, yeah, I think that's where to go. And there's a moment where you just, you know, kind of claim your identity. And this is who I am. This is how I was made. Um, it's a beautiful thing that it has allowed me to be the person I am with, you know, compassion, love, capability, whatever. Um, and I think that can be applied to more than just a mental health condition like like bipolar, but also to trauma, to setbacks that we have in life and to pretty much any other issue that people would have, regardless of whether that's diagnosed as a mental illness or not. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, if you surround yourself with people who reflect that beauty back to you, you know. Um, right. So that's another way is like, is like, look in the mirror of a friend who is reflecting back to you, you know, well, Ben, you and I, we're not on a conversation to um, talk about your issues, but if we were, you know, and you shared with me some of your challenges and I'd be like, Hey, you know, Ben, look how awesome you are. You got through this, you know, you're a rock star, right. you know? So, so having, I think having those kind of positive influences around you that can help. Um, I'll tell you, my kids helped me. I, I, you know, when they're coming up as teens and they're like, Hey mom, we're so proud of you. Like, you know, this is just, we learn about a health class, all kinds of kids are on, you know, meds or cutting or whatever, you know, it's awesome what you've done. And that kind of a, whether it's whoever you, you find in your life, friends, relatives, colleagues, coworkers, whoever, who can reflect back that positivity. I think that's really important. What did your experience teach you about life? I know that's a big question, <laughs> but in a in a nutshell, what would you what would teach you say? me about life? Wow. I mean, you know, it's hard to say because I don't know who I would be without this, right? Because it's going on many decades. But in in the end of my book, I think at one point, this was interesting because at least to me, it's interesting. My editor, um, I was having trouble finishing the book. And I was kind of like, you know, I'm not sure that I can put this out there. I'm still a little worried about the stigma. And she said, okay, here's your assignment. I want you to go home and write. I have a bipolar brain and I'm a better leader because of it. Um, and that was like, wow, that's an interesting assignment. And I, um, I came out with four things that I got to see if I remember them. But they were the, these four things that I was like really proud of. And I think they did make me a better leader slash better person, better parent, better partner. Um, and one was gratitude. Like when you have a brain like this and you've been to hell and back and lived in hell for however many months or years, I can't even tell you how grateful I am for every day that my brain works. And, and it's like, it's like, a, it's like a joy that of, of, 
the present reality with a healthy working brain. So, so one is gratitude. Um, two is discipline. Like because of the respect I told you about this brain, I am wicked disciplined about exercise and diet and sleep. And people who don't know about my, you know, my bipolar brain, because I haven't been out of the closet for that long, they'll be like, wow, how are you so disciplined? You know, and I just sort of smile inside going, because you don't know what's on the other side of the hell that's on the other side of this for me. That's how I'm so disciplined, you know. Then a third one is um, I think of is really um, a deep compassion. Um like before this hit me, I don't think I was as compassionate, you know, like I now, when I see people on the street, you know, who've got the cup out, um, homeless or addicts or whoever else, I will not judge them because I'm like there, but for the grace of God and one less support system go I, I could totally see myself there, you know, so that there's a place of non-judgment that is really genuine. No, yeah, that's great. I mean, I think that it it is a, f- a fact that we tend to learn a lot more from things that we have difficulty with than we ever do from things that come easy for us. Um, so it seems to me that like a setback and a challenge seems to provide a lot of value because if you start looking at it in, in a way of an opportunity to learn, to grow, to be a better person, to inform you of things you wouldn't have otherwise known, it then shifts it from being something that's negative. Like, why did I have to be born with this? Why did I have to go through that? Why did this terrible thing have to happen to me? Right. It, it seems like there's not much rhyme or reason why, and to be stuck in the weeds of, why doesn't matter as much as being able to accept and then be like, well, that, you know, it sucks that this happened, right? Like we don't want to, we don't want to pretend like it's not, it doesn't suck, but at least, but, but, but this is a, a, a value opportunity. You know, this is a way to overcome and to learn things about myself that I wouldn't have known. And then to look at the world in a way that's arguably better and more, you know, a little bit, a little bit more informed than, than perhaps you would have otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right on like, why is a, is a um, spiral down? You're not going to get anything from why, why won't help because there is no explanation, but um, the, the how and the what, and the, you know, the things that you develop in your character and depth that comes from it, you know, that's all good. Which reminds me, I remember the fourth one, um, which was is around depth and kind of fearlessness in the sense that anybody can come to me with any issue they have and it will not scare me. You know what I mean? Like mm. as a coach or as a friend, uh, uh, you know, you could it, it could be the most horrific things that happen to human beings. And, and I, it's not it's not going to take me down. I am honored to be there with you in that space. And I can be I can hold that space with you. I, I think about a, a, this a lot in comparison to losing a loved one. Now, I haven't personally lost someone very close to me um, in my life yet, um, fortunately. But I would imagine that that's probably one of the, the um, most difficult things that the average person would have to overcome. Um, you mentioned you know, your, your mother passing away. Uh, do you feel like you were able to better handle that? I mean, I understand that you, you mentioned that you did have a flare up. So I suppose, you know, that, that is, that's unique to the, to the bipolar situation, but it, generally speaking, 
do you think that going through the, the, the difficulty of, you know, understanding the bipolar um, uh, challenge that you had was uh, a, a way that you kind of built some mental muscle there and was able to perhaps cope a little bit better with, um, with that particular situation? Yes. I mean, again, that particular situation was complicated and it was difficult. And there's, um, you know, in in the years subsequently, I've been, um, I think, better able to process it. And I think I was there for I definitely was there for my mom because I literally was there for at the end when she took her last breath with my sister. So I was able to be present in a way um, with her. My kind of um, flair happened after. But I, I think more current for me, Ben, is um, is my husband has a cancer diagnosis and he's doing really well, thank God. But um, it happened right before COVID. So February, find out Joe had um, aggressive cancer. March is COVID. Um, there's a lot of stuff hitting us left, right, center, like everybody. Um, but I think I've been able to sustain a kind of a calm and presence and positivity during this time That's that that I would attribute a lot to, you know, lessons I learned from um, from living with, dealing with, working with my bipolar brain. Um, that's, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing well. Um, yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, it's, it's just so applicable though, because I, I've, I've been saying throughout this podcast, um, that, you know, we're, we, we were recording this during the COVID pandemic, right? You know, there's a lot of resources out there coming out around mental health, but what this tells me is that you know we recognize uh, there's there's not many people now that that, that I don't think can't understand um, personally the, what it's like to go through a very difficult time and some people's year uh, you know this past 2020 uh, has been harder than others for sure but I think the curtain's been kind of been pulled back and we can all realize that there's you know, real struggle that exists in being, you know, a human on this planet. And it's by going through those struggles that we seem to be better equipped to handle future struggles. Yeah, absolutely. Last week, I think in the New York Times, an op-ed saying that the fourth wave of the pandemic is mental health crisis. So, you know, I'm hoping that your listeners will be able to get something out of this in terms of um, practices that they can use uh, when it comes up, because it's going to be coming up for people use this setback, use this time as a way that we can start working on our mental health. Because when, you know, aside from just being stronger by going through something difficult and surviving, we, you know, I think that there's even more strength in really critically analyzing, okay, what, did, you know, happened? What can I, what can I do to be in a better place? Um, the next time something difficult happens. And so I hope that we can start to really look at this concept of mental muscle as a way that we can, you know, build that when we're in these kinds of um, situations like we are with the pandemic. Um, Because we we know that even though there there might not be another pandemic for a while, or, you know, things might be be different, um, it's likely there will be another pandemic. It's likely likely that there are going to be other, you know, very difficult world issues coming up in in the future. To think that 2020 is over and all of our problems are over, I think is pretty naive, right? So, you know, uh, I, I, this is, just, I, I just wanted to, you know, mention that I think that, you know, this is such a great opportunity. And then that I think spawns this idea that we've been discussing that there really are a lot of opportunities that we get in life to build back better. 
Yeah, I mean, I've I've just was discussing with a friend of mine that I walk with every week this morning um, that both of us were sharing that I'm not sure how many of the um, you know commitments that I had before COVID I'm going to take back because what I found is that having this extra time for self care, um, you know, yoga, exercise, nutrition, etc., has been really healthy for me. Like I I'm almost feeling guilty because I feel better than I ever have. Um, during this time, right. but it suggests that, hey, maybe all that kind of busyness I was doing before, um, maybe I don't need to do all that. Well, that's the end of part one of our interview with Sarah Schley. We'll post part two in about two weeks. If you or someone you know is struggling with bipolar disorder, we recommend checking out additional resources on Sarah's website at www.sarahschley.com. That's www.sarashley.com. And be sure to sign up to be the first to know when Brainstorm is published in December. Contact Sarah on sarahschley.com. Thanks for listening to All Teens Considered. Join us again in two weeks when we'll have another episode to share with you. We look forward to hearing your feedback and ideas for future episodes.